0: Welcome to Birth of a Mama, a podcast for sharing stories about the experience of motherhood from birth, the moments immediately after, and beyond. I'm your host, Natalie Welch, registered dietitian and mom of one energetic baby girl. Through sharing our stories and hearing the experiences of others, we can all feel heard and heal. Postpartum is forever. Postpartum is hard. And this podcast brings you the raw, honest truth. Today, I had Nicole Massey moucher on the podcast. She shared about the birth of her daughter, Ava, who is now almost 14 months old, and talks openly about the realities of becoming a mom, from things like vaginal care and early postpartum and breastfeeding to family support and postpartum depression and anxiety. Overall, this was a really enjoyable conversation, and I loved connecting with Nicole. I hope you feel the same after listening. Hi, welcome to Birth of a Mama. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, Will you start off by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself and your family?
1: Yes. So um, my name is Nicole DeMasi melcher I'm a registered dietitian and a certified diabetes educator. And I live in San Diego with my husband and my almost 14-month-old daughter. Um, Originally from Rhode Island, though. So not not really a West Coaster, (laughs) but um, I've been here for a while now. And, um, I have a private practice in, in San Diego where I, um, help people with ADHD improve their relationship with food and body image.
0: Love that. So important. Love the work you're doing. Um, so if you had to describe the transition into motherhood in three words, which would you choose?
1: This is honestly such a hard question (laughs) because I'm like, wait, three words, how can you possibly sum it up? Um, But I was thinking, and I feel like the first word that came to mind was empowering just because it, it makes you feel like, I cannot believe I just did that. Like, I can't believe I gave birth. I can't believe I like built this tiny human inside of my body and now all of a sudden I'm a mom. It's like life changing which I guess could be another word but empowering is definitely one. Um, rewarding is another one. I just feel like it's it's so nice to be able to give everything that you can to somebody and they just love you back unconditionally. I think it's amazing. And then the last one is exhausting. <laughs> It's like a thousand percent exhausting with the sleep deprivation and um, just everything that goes into it. So yeah, it's not all positive, right? It's definitely been, it's been a long, a long journey for me as, which I'm sure we'll get into. (laughs)
0: Yes, definitely. Love those words. I feel like there's a nice balance there (laughs) between positive (laughs) and maybe a little bit more like I hate saying negative because it's just like it's just real, you know, like we're just we're just being real, keeping it real. It is exhausting. And I love empowering because you're right. I remember just thinking like, holy shit, that just happened after birth, you know, and just being like, "Okay, now what do we do? This is crazy. Like it actually happened. Now we have a baby. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Getting through that makes you feel like you can pretty much do anything. And then it continues on into motherhood forever and ever. (laughs) I know. There's
1: so many days I'm like, does this feeling end? Like, does it ever go away? Or is it just like this perpetual feeling of I have no idea what I'm actually doing?
0: (laughs) I think it's going to be pretty permanent. (laughs) (laughs) Great. You know, it's like we're always going to be learning because they're always changing. You know, there's never... Just when you feel like you have a routine down or something, they have a new milestone that they hit, or something changes in the schedule. Mm-hmm. So, how did you prepare for postpartum?
1: This was an it's an interesting question because I feel like there's really not a lot of postpartum preparation. It's all like how to give birth, and I had heard that luckily, so I made sure that I knew a little bit about it. And I think as di- as a dietitian, I had worked you know, in both the labor and delivery and postpartum units. And I feel like I learned a lot about what to expect in terms of like feeding and nutrition. And then I also worked for WIC um, for like three years. So I knew a lot about what to expect for the woman and how to feed and all that. But no one ever can prepare you for what it's like because it's just so different for everyone. And... I took some classes at my local hospital, just like your general postpartum class, like not really much information, just kind of basic stuff. Um, And I honestly did a lot of my own research from like Googling. I used the Flow app, which is what I use to actually track my period and everything. and, And I got a lot of great info from there. And um, Instagram, honestly, has been like a huge (laughs) source of education for me. I know it's not always like the best place to go, but if you're following the right accounts, you can definitely get a lot of good info there. And then just doing lots of, you know, research and reading and then just talking to my sister and my friends who have already had kids.
0: Yeah, I honestly think that last one is so big because they are people that you know that you trust that have been through it or are going through it. And then they can kind of tell you their, you know, real life experiences. Because like you said, it's really hard to know or to prepare until you've gone through it, you know? And it's like, well, how do you prepare for something you've never done or been through? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And just the general lack, like you said as well, of classes, education, resources. It's not as well-known or talked about as preparing for the birth part. But it sounds like you did like a fair amount of prep and seems like you wanted to kind of understand at least as best you could what to expect because it sounds like you did a lot of your own research, which is great. So with that, we'll move into your birth. Do you want to start with a brief overview of your birth?
1: Yeah, sure. So I actually, my daughter was due, was born on her due date which is like, I guess, like 4% or something <laughs> crazy like that, I started getting contractions like on the, the day before she was due. And my water actually broke like an hour later. So it broke like in the beginning of labor. And actually there was like blood in it as well. So I had to go to the emergency room right away. I didn't get to do any birthing or... um What's the word for it? This I still have mom brain. If you guys, if you haven't had a kid yet, like this is like serious mom brain, haven't slept. So <laughs> forgive me if I can't get my words out. But yeah, I didn't get to have do any laboring at all during that time. Like in my house, I had... I had done like read the hypnobirthing book and all these things I was going to like sit on my ball and like do the deep breathing and sit with my husband. I bought my like huge water bottle to take my sips of water, and all this stuff. But no, we had to go to the ER right away. And this particular night, it was like crazy busy. It was a Friday night and there was like, it was completely packed. There was like nowhere to sit. And then finally got into triage and they were like, we don't have any beds. I'm really sorry. I had to labor in a tiny ass triage room with like, I couldn't even fit my stuff. My husband was like stuck in the corner, like like squished with all of my things. And I was there for eight hours without any help. I was like nervous. And you know, like when you have a lot of adrenaline and you're like anxious about not being in like a safe space, It just wasn't a good experience for that particular time. And then after the eight hours, it was like 1 a.m., I finally got into a room. And then I started to relax a little bit and my labor was progressing a little bit more. But it took a while because I was just like really uncomfortable and um, like not really sure what was going on. And I didn't know if my doctor was going to be able to be there. So it was just like very different. You don't like like I said, no one can really prepare you for it. So, when I got upstairs, I was like in a lot of pain. Obviously, no one, I don't have to explain that to anybody who's gone through labor, <laughs> but it was like pretty bad. And I was like really pissed off because they checked me and they were like, You're only four centimeters. And I was like, God damn it. I just,
0: I can't. You know, that's not what you want to hear. You're like, come on, give me six, give me seven.
1: I just, I couldn't. Like, I don't know if it was the position of the baby or what, but I was like, I I just can't. Like, I thought I'd be able to do it. But, and I think in those moments, you want to be, you want to be like Superwoman. Like, I know so many people who had natural births, my sister included. And I wanted to do it but then I was sitting there and I'm like, who am I, who am I going to prove myself to right now? Like I, I was just, I had, I couldn't do it anymore. I tried the morphine because I was like anti-epidural. I was like, you know, anti-drugs, all these things. And then when you're in the moment, you're like, okay, we need to do something here. So first I tried gas and that like kind of made me nauseous. I didn't like it. And then The nurse kept saying, like, you need something for pain. You need something for pain. And, like, luckily the hospital that I was at was, like, it's a women and infants hospital in Rhode Island, which is where I I gave birth because I was was, um, back home near my family at the time. And they are, like, a very gentle hospital, and they're, like, really great about – I don't know what the word is for it, but there's, like, certain hospitals that are more, like, alternative – like they have an alternative birthing center and all these different things if you really want them, um, but in the moment I definitely was open to it, and they gave me some morphine. But I was like, I'm really sensitive to medication. Can you like just half my dose? And they, as soon as as soon as they gave it to me, I started feeling nauseous, and I was like, I can't, I can't do this. So then finally, I got an epidural <laughs> after 12 hours of labor. And then, um, I started to relax a little bit and I didn't, I definitely didn't sleep at all. Um, I'm like more of an anxious person, so I couldn't just like relax and let it happen. I was like wondering what's going to go on. And right, I want to say like right before the doctor came in, I started feeling like that pressure that you get when you feel like you need to start pushing and, she came over and she checked me and she was like, no, no, you're not ready yet. You're not ready yet. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll just hold on a little bit longer. And then sure enough, like two hours went by before I was like actually ready to go. Um, but then she she came in and she was like, okay, you're ready. So I started pushing and then I pushed for two and a half hours because I couldn't feel anything with the epidural. Um, and also it had been, what, like 16 hours since I was allowed to eat anything at that point like i don't know how they expect people to give birth when you have zero energy in your body i was eating like jello and like liquids and i understand like the reasoning behind it like if you go into emergency surgery then this might happen but i mean from all the research i've done and from what i've seen and heard from other people and i know you probably know the likelihood of that happening is so low and People birth much easier when they actually have a little bit of energy <laughs> from food. And I think in other countries, they actually allow women to eat and are encouraged to eat actually during that birthing process as well. But in the U.S. hospitals, definitely not. So anyway, I pushed for two and a half hours. It was a good time. And I, like I think towards the end, they were like, okay, your, your daughter's heart rate is kind of dropping a little bit. Like we need to move this along. So they brought out the mirror. And at first I was like, I don't want to look. I don't want to (laughs) look. I was like, I just, I'm scared. Like, I don't want to see anything. But then finally I looked and I could see her head. So I was like, oh my God, she's here. Like, I want to see her. You could see her hair and everything. And then I like push as like hard as I possibly could, (laughs) as you do. And she came out and I was like, oh my God, this is gonna be like an incredible experience. And she came out and she was blue and I was horrified. I looked at my husband and I was like, "What? Like what? Like, what's wrong with her? Like what happened? Like they were holding her up and she, she wasn't breathing. Like she couldn't take her first breath. So I tried not to panic. And I don't know if it was because of the epidural was like making me super chill, but I didn't lose my shit. I thought I was going to. And I don't know how long she they took her in the back room for. It felt like an eternity. I think it was honestly like two minutes. Um, but then I heard her cry and I just lost it. I was like, oh, my God. I Honestly, in that moment, I didn't know what to do. So my husband went in and he got her and he brought her to me. And it was like such an incredible moment I like started crying and of course she was like you know rooting around and I just like you know did skin to skin and then I let her latch on like right away and it was just yeah it was just incredible scary moment for sure um but I'm just happy that she didn't have to go to the NICU or anything like she was fine
0: yeah. That sounds intense. Like not knowing. And then, yeah, so glad she didn't have to go to the NICU when you got to, you know, your husband brought her over to you. That was so sweet. I was like, my face went from like scared and sad to so happy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. It was, I definitely didn't think he'd be the first one to like
0: c- cuddle her. <laughs> right. Right. It's always, it's not what you would expect, man. I'm telling you like everything you think it is going to go, how you think it's going to go. it birth has its own, its own plans. That's for sure. Um, mm-hmm. so, okay. So now you've got her, how long did you have to stay in the hospital? She didn't have to go to the NICU. So hopefully you didn't have to stay too long. How are you, like, how were you, how was the placenta, all that kind of stuff?
1: So the placenta
0: was fine, but I actually developed,
1: um, preeclampsia, like during labor, like oh, towards the end, okay. like my blood pressure went up to like one eighty. But they didn't have to give me any medication for it, luckily. Um, but then I, I was having, like, intense headaches and stuff, like, afterwards. And I don't know if it was just, you know, a hormone shift and all that or if it was due to the high blood pressure. But they had to keep coming in and checking on me to make sure that my blood pressure was all right. Luckily, it was fine. And I only stayed in the hospital for two days. I had, like, a first-degree tear. Um, but they said that my – like this is, I don't know how TMI you get on this podcast, but like, oh,
0: bring it all. There is no level of TMI.
1: I'm talking about motherhood. Like, who cares? Your yeah, we're literally, literally we're talking
0: about birth and vaginas ripping. Yes, it happens. Yes, it does. It does, and it's normal, <laughs> and it should
1: totally be talked
0: about with everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Let's normalize it because it happens to most women.
1: Yeah, like I, I definitely couldn't really walk for a while. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I had a first degree tear, which I was so shocked. At. I was like, this was really only a first degree, but I tore like on both sides, like on the upper part as well. My doctor came in and she was like, you're about 30% more swollen than most women are. And I was like, oh, okay, I don't know why. She's like, probably because you pushed for so long. And she was like down there in like the birth canal. And I don't know, she's like, you're just a petite person. Cause I'm like five feet tall and, um. Yeah, I don't know. It was just, it was very swollen, and I was using like the Freedom Mom ice packs and like that, like little sandwich that you can make. I don't know if if your listeners don't know. It's like, it's like that dry ice pack, like pad that you get, and then there was like tux pads on that, and then I was putting this like spray on top of that, and like put it in your underwear, and you just like walk around and you have this I don't know it's like a party
0: in your pants <laughs> yeah that's what I did honestly I wasn't using ice but I did I always did the tuck pads and the dermaplast spray mm-hmm. oh my gosh that stuff like saved my life
1: yeah wait, you didn't <laughs> so use <was> ice this, <laughs> Sorry. I didn't
0: I don't know what I don't know what I was thinking obviously I wasn't <laughs> thinking like I don't know I didn't I, I feel like I tried it at one point Mm -hmm. they gave me ice and I tried to put it like actually in my depends or this is when I was like still in the hospital, like right after. And it was Mm -hmm. too, it was like too intense. It was like too cold. Mm -hmm. So I took it out of my underwear diaper thing and I just put it on the outside and just let the cold kind of like seep in that way. And that seemed to be a little bit more manageable. And then once I got Mm -hmm. home and it was similar to you, I was out in like two days from the hospital. Mm -hmm. I didn't use any ice. And looking back, I'm like, maybe I should have been cause I felt like my healing took a long time, and obviously ice is going to help with swelling and you know the healing process when you're all torn up and swollen down there. Mm -hmm. But um, so this was all when you were still in the hospital, right? Like you were in your postpartum room. Yeah,
1: yeah, Yeah, yeah. Postpartum room, and then when I got home too, I used them for like I don't know, like at least a few weeks afterwards.
0: Yeah. No, it's. I would advise it. I would recommend. I feel like I should have. I will do it next time if there is a next time.
1: Yeah, it was, it was really helpful. And, um, like the ones that they give you in the hospital are great. I highly recommend, like most of the time I have to get rid of the stuff that's in your room. Like my, my nurses were like, just take these home with you. Just take them all home. They like kept putting them in my bag (laughs) because like, they're not going to use them for the next people anyway, if it's already open, they just throw them out. So you might as well take them all home with you. But, yeah, the tux pads, the ice pack, and the the spray was, like, amazing combination. Um, highly recommend that. And then also, like, the Depends are great. And they the ones at the hospital were awesome. Like, they're, like, really stretchy.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've heard. So I feel like the ones I had were just, like, a netting, like, a netting underwear thing, like, over mm-hmm. basically this giant. Pad like giant giant pad, um, yeah. so they weren't like the best. I actually preferred the Depends like the Depends brand from the store. Like I was getting them off of Amazon, I think. But but yeah, they are actually so comfortable. <laughs> like wearing an adult <laughs> diaper is great. <laughs> Never thought I'd say that, but I actually really enjoyed them. Like I felt like they held everything in place and they were comfy and I felt like I wasn't going to leak or, you know, cause you're bleeding for a while and mm-hmm. you just got so much going on down there. They were so comfortable, like you said. Um, and I loved the point you brought up about take everything from your room, from the hospital. If you do have a hospital birth, because yeah, all that stuff that's in there is already like charged to your room or whatever. So it's yours. Like take it all, take all the diapers, all the supplies. If your nurses don't tell you to do it, you can do it. Just put them in your bag and take them home.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. 100%.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So how did the first two weeks go? Like after you got home, how were those first 14 or so days with your baby and your husband?
1: (laughs) (laughs) They were intense, (laughs) as you'd imagine. Um, It was really tough because Ava, my daughter, was born with a tongue tie. And even like as soon as I latched her on like the first 24 hours, like my nipples were already like bleeding. It was so painful. And so I had to start pumping when I was in the hospital just to make sure that I was getting stimulation properly. So she was getting some colostrum there and everything. But um, when I got home, yeah, it was just, it was tough. I think if I didn't, if she didn't have the tongue tie and I wasn't having so much trouble with feeding and, and breastfeeding, Um, my anxiety probably wouldn't have been as bad. It's just so scary to feel like you can't feed this little tiny human. And I wasn't against formula or anything, like I did give some formula in the beginning, but I was like so worried about my milk supply and I was like triple feeding at one point, which is like you put the baby to breast, see what they can get out, and then you pump afterwards to get the rest out, and then you feed the baby that milk, and it was like I felt like I was feeding twenty four seven because of it. It was, it was a lot, and of course, you know, no one can prepare you for what sleep deprivation like that f- it feels like. It's just on a different, a whole other level. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's she's never been a good sleeper. Like even now, um, she doesn't sleep great at all. So it was tough, just like with feeding myself and stuff I feel like I was pretty good like I had family around who was like bringing us meals and stuff but honestly if they're listening I hope they're not but like I thought we were gonna have way more support than we did (laughs) from our family, but we actually, we didn't like the first week or so, but like I needed way more support. Like I probably could have done the freezer meals and things that everyone talk about, but uh, I like just let myself get takeout and um, just pretty much eat whatever I wanted because it's like really hard. You really don't have time to cook for yourself. And also with breastfeeding, like I was hungry 24 seven, like in the middle of the night just eating constantly and drinking (laughs) water constantly. Um, But yeah, I feel like the sleeping part was – and the feeding part was pretty hard. So I struggled a lot with postpartum depression, like beyond the two weeks. Like at first they tell you in the beginning, like how is – I guess like they talk about the baby blues and how that's like pretty normal – And they just say, like, it's going to be hard, it's going to be this, like, expect, you know, expect to not sleep. You don't really have anything to compare it to when you're a new mom. So I felt like the level of anxiety and OCD that I was having, looking back now, was definitely not normal. I wish that I had gotten help a lot sooner with it, for sure. Like, it wasn't normal to be that anxious and erratic, I guess like I was. Um, my husband's like super super supportive and just helping me with everything, which was so great, and I honestly don't know how people do it alone. I really
0: don't. 100%, I'm after going through this whole experience as a mom with a husband who is supportive, my heart goes out to single moms and parents, single dads, like anyone on their own really like I don't honestly don't know if I could do it. I don't know how, I mean, you guess you make it work, but damn. I like the point that you brought up about your family, how you had support lined up for food and it still didn't feel like enough. The Mm. amount of support that is needed to feel like you can function and feed yourself and feed your baby and get some level of sleep is, it's really huge. The Mm. amount of resources and people that you need to have lined up and willing and able. Um, most people don't have it lined up because either they don't know that it's something that they need or they don't have those people or, you know, you can hire it out, but that's very costly. You know, postpartum doulas will come and help with a lot of this stuff, but it's it's a lot. Depending on where you are, when we were in Los Angeles, it was like $40 an hour, sometimes 45 If you have one day someone come for only, you know, four or five hours, that's a couple hundred dollars. You know, that's not affordable. So I know. I'm really glad that you got help though for your – you. so you eventually noticed that it wasn't normal or how did you kind of know that you needed help with the p- postpartum depression and anxiety? Um, the thing is like I've always struggled with anxiety.
1: So I it didn't feel like anything out of my norm. I was like, oh, this is just classic Nicole being like anxious and worried about stuff. Um, But it's like – a whole other level when it's not just you like you're affecting your child at that point I think the hardest part about this like the symptoms that everyone says to watch for is that they're going to be experienced differently in everyone like they say it's a red flag if you're no longer able to like connect with your baby or you don't want anything to do with your baby, right? Like that's sort of like the extreme like dissociation, I guess, potentially. But I didn't feel that. Like I didn't actually was the opposite and I didn't want anybody to else to really like hold my baby. And I was just like obsessed with constantly feeding her and I was so ex- like so I don't know, just anxious that there was like something wrong was going to happen. I would like make sure that, you know, check her to make sure she was breathing constantly. And like, I know these, some of these things are like what new moms do, but it was like an extreme that I didn't realize. Um, I guess I didn't realize that I probably should have gotten help until like maybe three months in. I wanted it but at the same time I couldn't find the time. I was like I can't I can't leave right now because I have to feed or I need to pump or you know it was like it was always just this like obsession with what I needed to do for my daughter rather than getting myself help. And I guess in hindsight I would have probably done like this like day hospital they had back in Rhode Island. There's like a treatment center. There's only like a few of them around the whole country where they do a postpartum day hospital for women. And it's like one of the best in the country. It's run by like Brown University, like physicians and stuff. And it's it's a really great program. But I didn't know what to expect. And I was like afraid to leave home. And I didn't realize that I could like take her with me. So I didn't have enough information about what the program was actually like to actually do it. Um, but luckily, I've just started doing more therapy and stuff, and it's been really helpful. And I think just kind of ha- like if I have an, another child, which we plan to, just knowing that I can relax about a lot of things, and even if my next kid does have a tongue tie and these issues, like I'll know what to expect, so it won't be as bad. But um, yeah, it was it was a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah, that sounds that sounds like a lot. It sounds. I also feel myself or hear myself in a lot of your stories. I feel like we have very similar postpartum stories in a lot of ways. But yeah, it's really important to know the signs. So I'm really glad that you shared some of those things that you're experiencing so that our listeners can maybe you know learn from that and notice that if they see it in themselves. Because especially as a new mom, like you said, you don't really know what to expect. You don't know what's normal. You're feeling maybe more on edge or anxious than you are as a second time mom because you've already done this once before. But that's absolutely not to say that you can't have PPD or PPA as a second time, third time, fourth time mom. You absolutely can. And sometimes you experience it for the first time as a second or third time mom. Mm-hmm. However, I think that added level of stress of not, you know, doing it for the first time, not having ever done this before as a first time mom for certain people, especially those already anxious people like you and I am also an anxious person, that can be maybe something that triggers it, that and the lack of support, the sleep deprivation, there's so many things, you know, inadequate nutrition. So um, yeah, definitely things you can do to try to like mitigate risk of developing it, but sometimes it's not really preventable, you know, but there absolutely is help. So like you said, I think there's a lack of resources or for certain, like, if you know of a program, a lack of resources of those specific programs, but also just in general of, like, you know, what to do. I mean, Google's great. You can just type in, you know, postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety, help. And I think they do in the hospital, at least at my hospital. I think they gave me some information on that kind of thing. But it's like, you know, did you have the time to actually read through it?
1: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's much harder to... I don't know. I think it's, it's harder to like relate to like the bullet points that they give you. It's like you're, it's like literally a bullet point of a symptom, but it's like, what does that actually feel like to you? I don't know. I guess it's hard to explain. Like, because I already was anxious before, it was harder to pick up that there was a problem. If that makes sense.
0: Well, it's hard to separate it out, you know, and be like, okay, this is just my baseline, I don't like to call it normal, but normal level of anxiety versus this is something that is escalating and or interfering with my ability to take care of myself and therefore my baby, you know, like that's when it becomes a problem. But it's hard to notice that when you're in it. So Mm -hmm. as much as it's important for us as moms to be aware of these things, it's also really important for our partners and our other family members and people you know, in our lives that are observing us and can see our behavior. You can't always see thoughts. Obviously you can't see what someone's thinking and intrusive thoughts are a big symptom also, but usually the thoughts lead to an action or a behavior. And I think that it's important to be aware of those things. Like how you said you didn't want anyone else to hold her or like take care of her. And it could be the opposite as well, like you said before, how you can have not you can want nothing to do with your baby you know, having help, even if just, even just like a therapist, somebody that you can talk to, I think after COVID and having a lot of things go virtual, it's actually benefited a lot of people because to your point, feeling like, oh my God, I can't get out of the house and get to an appointment or go to some inpatient or outpatient therapy program. You know, like I have a new baby. What am I going to just leave her or him? So knowing like there's other options just to get something started? I mean, somebody might need inpatient or outpatient, but at least having somebody to talk to. um, Did you end up having a therapist that you saw or see?
1: Yeah. So, um, and one thing that I I didn't really mention is that I have ADHD. So, I was diagnosed in 2020. And so I had a therapist that I was seeing, but she was mostly for ADHD. I didn't have like somebody who specialized in postpartum health. So it was like I would have had to start over again and find someone new. And I think the process of like finding a new therapist sometimes can be daunting, even though I don't want this to like discourage anyone who's listening. But I just couldn't find it in me to like go through that process. And I think – If anyone who's listening has ADHD, they know, like, it's just, it takes a lot of executive functioning to actually find a therapist, make sure they have your insurance, like, you know, make sure they know about ADHD and they can also help you with postpartum. Um, It's just a lot. And with, like, I guess I should kind of explain what ADHD is really quick, but it's basically like attention deficit disorder. And you have a lack of executive functioning, which is like you have trouble with planning and prioritizing and scheduling and um, emotional dysregulation and all these other things that make it so hard to function on a day-to-day basis. It's, it's, it really affects everything that you do. And so a lot of people who have ADHD are going to be at higher risk for postpartum anxiety and depression because of that. There's like, I forget what the statistic is, but we're definitely at higher risk. And and most of us do get it after we have kids, especially if you don't have a lot of support around you. And especially if you don't think about like the systems and strategies that you need to have in place in order to make it work. So like remembering what side I fed, like I nursed my daughter on was so hard for me because we already have, it's like, we have a really hard time with working memory. So just like remembering simple tasks like that. Um, and I know they say like, you know, you can put your hair elastic on one arm to kind of like remember which side it was on. I would do that, but then I'd be like, does this mean that I fed on this side or does this mean I'm supposed to start on the other side? (laughs) Like I would just get so confused and like stressed. And then I would like, feed my daughter on that sign and to be like, Oh shit, it was supposed to be the other side. And then I'm like, Oh my God, now I have to pump it because I don't want to like make my supply go low. And then I would pump and then she'd be hungry again. And then I'd have to feed her and I'd be like, Oh my God, this is way too much. I'm so surprised that I breastfed for as long as I did. Like I'm still breastfeeding now. And I think it's just like my stubbornness and perfectionism that was like, not that like breastfeeding is perfect. Like you know, fed is best. I'm totally a believer in that, but I was like very stubborn and like, no, this is what I want to do. And I'm going to do it and I'm going to make it work for as long as I can. It also didn't help that she completely hated formula. She would like spit it out. And she had a lot of trouble with like, uh, acid reflux and, um I remember at one point I had to like cut out dairy and eggs and all this other stuff because she was like spitting up constantly and just not gaining and she was dropping percentiles and all of that like just created this like storm that made me more and more anxious because I was just like and even as a dietitian you feel like inadequate because we're supposed to know everything about nutrition and how to feed our kids and do all these things. But it's almost like when it's your kid, it's just different. Like you just, it's, you just have all this anxiety around it. So it's like you have that emotion that gets involved in you. It's harder for you to see things for what they are. And it just makes you more anxious. So I was like obsessive over it in an unhealthy way for sure and the ADHD made it 10 times worse and you know you can't take medication when you're breastfeeding and all the you know you can't really do much except for try to simplify things as much as possible but it's just there's so much going on when you're triple feeding for a long time it was it was really hard i i hope to god that my next child <laughs> doesn't have a tongue tie and i mean if they do we'll know what to do now from the beginning because my baby had to have a what was it like she went to the ENT to get snipped in the first 10 days and then they thought it was fine, but then she still had feeding issues. And it wasn't until three months in that we realized that she needed to actually have the laser procedure done because she had a posterior tongue tie. Um, and luckily, we had a great lactation consultant after like the fifth one that we went to um, who told me like, hey, it's probably not just a regular tongue tie. It's a posterior tie and she get her snipped. She also had a lip tie and cheek ties and we had to go to speech therapists and do all these stretches and it wasn't until like six months in that she actually started feeding in a normal way really it took a long time and her percentiles went from like 36 down to the 20th down to the 15th and now she's in like the fifth percentile and she's just kind of stayed there and so I constantly felt like I needed her to get I needed to get her back up I mean luckily she's like her height is okay for her age but her weight for height is like yeah 5th percentile or below even i don't i don't want to like make everyone sound like it's this like terrible daunting thing but it's just no, real no <laughs> i mean
0: these are all things that another mom could be experiencing or could experience i feel like you're literally telling my story we had such similar experiences it's yeah the whole like my comment to your breastfeeding story is like breastfeeding is just, it's amazing. And breast milk is so nutritious, like the most wonderful liquid on earth. I'm not denying that at all. And I'm also a fed is best camp person because of my own struggles that I went through and having to use formula. But breastfeeding is such a mental stressor and all the things that Are under the surface that go along with that, like the tongue ties and the cracked and bleeding bruised nipples and the low milk supply potentially or oversupply, like all these things that can go on behind the scenes that you don't know about until you're going through it, how it's going to be for you. And then there are those moms out there who it like works perfectly for, and it's just this beautiful, easy process. Um, I don't know many of them, (laughs) but I know they do exist. And then To touch on the dietitian piece, since I'm also a dietitian, it is such a blessing and a curse because like you said, we feel like we should know everything when it comes to nutrition and feeding ourselves and our kids, but we don't. That's not something that we're, I mean, we get like a lesson on it in our education. There's not this in-depth, if we want to learn about that as a dietitian, that's like something we would have to specialize in. That's not just something that's taught in the normal curriculum of becoming a dietitian and even if you want to get your master's degree like I did, I mean, we did like another refresher, but there was nothing in detail um, about pregnancy, postpartum, pediatric, nothing. It just adds another layer of stress when you feel like you should, there's all these shoulds, right? Like I should know what I'm doing and I should know how to do this and that. And what we do, I mean, we don't, we're learning as we go. So how did it go from like six months until you're almost you're almost fourteen months postpartum now, so how was that last stretch of time up until now?
1: It's definitely been easier. Um, I stopped pumping, and to be honest, like I realized that I didn't even. I finally saw a lactation consultant that told me about like the fact that volume is more important than like the four milk, kind milk thing. Because I was always so stressed that my baby wasn't getting enough of the hind milk because since I was pumping so much, I did have an oversupply at one point. And I also had high lipase milk, which was when your milk tastes like soap. So even though I was pumping, my baby wasn't actually drinking my milk. So I finally stopped pumping and just allowed my my body and... Ava to kind of guide it. And I was just so worried. Like I didn't trust that it was going to be enough. I didn't trust that like she would stimulate enough to actually produce milk. And I was just so scared of low supply and her losing weight, but I just so fed up. I was like, all right, like, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to see how it goes. And it finally regulated. And the fact that she was like eating solids was nice too, because then she could have a little bit more. And we are still breastfeeding now at almost 14 months and it's just – I I like love it finally. It's like amazing and it's just so nice to have that bond and to be able to just look forward to it and to have her look forward to it. The only thing I would say that's still really challenging is that she's still waking up like three times a night to feed because we haven't done sleep training or anything like that, but it's it's still exhausting and I would say – I could easily fall back asleep because we're co-sleeping, but I just don't sometimes because I have anxiety. Like, I just always will. (laughs) And so sometimes I don't fall back asleep when she gets up, but that's not her fault. I know it's, like, pretty normal for babies to continue feeding throughout the night at this point too. Um, So I'm just kind of going with it and trying to go more with the flow. Like, everyone told me from the beginning, but it's, like, really hard to do when it's your baby. But – It's definitely going much, much better now. Um, We did like baby led weaning and she's not really that picky of an eater, which is great. And yeah, it's just going much better despite me constantly still being worried about her weight gain. But I think that will just be forever.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's hard when we actually – I meant to touch on this before. The the low percentile thing that you talked about, how she's kind of like staying now in that fifth, which – feels scary or like we're doing something wrong or like they're not big enough. Um, But I just wanted to make a comment that like that's actually okay. And I had the same issue. Rayla, my daughter, was always in like the 13th. She's now gone up a little bit and I think she's in like the 30 something. I don't even know. I try not to focus too much on it anymore because it was a cause of a lot of unnecessary stress for me as well. But like there's a reason why there is zero to 100. Some babies are going to be in the fifth percentile. Some babies are going to be the 98th. If they just stay there and it's more of a consistent thing instead of them like jumping all around, it's actually not a big problem. Like some babies are just going to be smaller. Trust is a huge thing. Like we have to just trust. And it is so hard to let go and trust that our babies are getting enough food because when they're hungry, they're going to eat. And when they're full, they're going to stop. And they're the best intuitive eaters on the planet. And just trusting that, you know, they know what to do is so hard. It is so hard. So I love that things are going better. And sounds like motherhood is maybe a little bit more enjoyable (laughs) at this point. I feel like that's the sweet spot. Like once you get past the 12 month mark, I feel like things tend to not always, but tend to start to kind of even out. You kind of start to feel like maybe yourself again, a little bit. Sleep is maybe improving by this point. So love that. And I know earlier you, you mentioned that you do want to have another or more kids. Um, how did you know? <laughs>
1: um, I'm not going to lie. I've thought like, should I do this all over again? Do I want to do this all over again? Because its it's been a lot. And I'm like, well, I guess i will I'll answer your first question with, yes, I do want to have one more. And I've always thought I wanted to have three because I'm one of three. And I just think there were times when like my younger sister and I would get along better and then like the middle sister and I would get along better. And I'm like, it's always nice to have a separate ally just in case (laughs) (laughs) when you're growing up. But I think two is plenty, especially because I'm getting older now. I'm going to be 37 this year. And so I feel like after this, I'll probably try to have one more and then think I'll give it a rest because <laughs> it is a lot of work and I feel like because I had such a hard time before and it did take me so long to get back to normal well I'm I'm still not normal but um, just a, a long time to bounce back I feel like I'm scared almost to go through that again I mean and even during pregnancy I was like super sick really really bad nausea and vomiting up until like 16 weeks So it's just, it's scary to have to go through that all again. And then like the beginning piece of like, I still haven't slept yet. So having another one, it's like, I'm going to have more sleep deprivation. Like, can my body go through this? Can I handle it mentally? It's like really scary. And um, I know that we're capable of doing it because we've been doing it for thousands and thousands of years, but you do get to a point where you're like worried about, just how it's going to affect your relationship and your relationship with yourself as well. Like we, I feel like a totally different person. And I think it's because we did move away from our family, um, moving back to the West coast. Like we haven't, we don't really have support here. So we don't get those chances to just do things on our own and that type of stuff. So it is a big decision, but I do think we'll have one more because I do want Ava to have a sister or a brother. Um, and I've just always wanted more kids, but I wish I started sooner. I know it's like, (laughs) I always said like, no, I'm going to wait so as long as I possibly can because I want to like live my life and travel and do all these things. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, what if I felt 10 years younger? How would that feel? (laughs) But you can't, I mean, there's no like perfect time.
0: Right. And there's pros and cons to having kids younger and also waiting. Honestly, I wish I had waited a little bit longer. And then like you, you're like, I wish I had started sooner. So yeah, there's no perfect time. Exactly. So is there anything that you plan to do differently next time? Um, Hopefully like chill the F
1: out. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Trust and believe. (laughs) (laughs) just like trust that the baby knows what to do and like trust my mama instincts a little bit more, you know, cause I think I went down like the Google rabbit hole of like, am I getting enough milk? Like, do I have an oversupply and undersupply? Like, do I have too much foremilk, too much hindmilk, which is like not a thing really. If like it's not something to actually worry about for anyone who's listening, it's like volume is most important. Right. And it is I mean, I don't want to get into like the whole breastfeeding topics. I could talk about that for another hour, but I feel like just trusting that everything will be okay and that it will work out as as it goes. And I just – I think I'm going to be way more chill and hope that that um, allows me to just enjoy it a little bit more rather than like the rumination and like the intrusive thoughts and stuff I think will hopefully subside this time. So yeah, I think my plan postpartum would definitely be to make sure that I have some systems in place for food and childcare and relaxation and just, you know, all those things that I didn't get last time.
0: Yeah. Uh, So important. I love that. Having some kind of a postpartum plan is extremely useful. And yeah, I want to do that as well because I as much as I thought I had a plan, air quotes, it was there was no plan. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like the more you know, the less you know, right? Like there's almost this information overload that really makes things harder. Like the hind milk fore milk thing. Like there there could be a million examples um, of things that we could know too much of in motherhood. When really, it's probably better to just chill the f out like you said right like chill the fuck out trust your (laughs) trust your body trust your baby let yourself like focus on resting recovering. like your body just went through a serious serious event basically it's the equivalent of running a marathon because that is actually the equivalent of what your body physically just went through when you have a baby so I mean your main your main objective should be like recovering from that extremely challenging event but you see people like Talking about bouncing back, and they're like at the grocery store three days later shopping, and I'm like, what the f are you doing? Like, you should be in bed with your baby, <laughs> resting. We should not be, <laughs> we should not be accepting that as normal or something that we should do. That should not be being promoted. We need to be resting, recuperating, recovering, hundred <laughs> percent.
1: Yeah, exactly. Those, you don't need to celebrate the fact that you're like at the grocery store. I'd be like. Shouldn't you be in bed? <laughs> sleeping?
0: <Yeah. laughs> there's no metal for that. And it's a, it's a, it's the same thing with birth itself. Like getting the epidural, get the, get the epidural if you need it, you know, like don't, I was so hard on myself. No, I want to do it natural and I don't want any medication. And I feel like you kind of probably felt the same with the way that you explained your story in the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. but there's no, like who, who were you trying to, prove yourself to to yourself like there's no gold medal there's no such thing as superwoman like you don't have to do it all you don't have to prove yourself to anybody just do what works for you and your family and with that are there any resources that you want to share with the listeners um
1: i read the hypnobirthing book and it was helpful to just know how to do, like, the breath work and um, kind of what to expect. But I think in terms of resources, there's, like, Mommy Labor Nurse on Instagram. That's really helpful. And there was, like – is it, like, the Vagina Whisperer? I think
0: so, yeah. I (laughs) I follow her. On
1: Instagram, she, like, talks about, like, giving birth. (laughs) <laughs> saving the earth one vagina at a time is her tag name tag. <laughs> That's great.
0: That should be a bumper sticker, by the way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> or a shirt. So nurse. she's a um, registered nurse and she's got like online birth classes. She's, she was like a labor and delivery nurse for a long time, but She has, like, on her Instagram page, it's, like, really well broken down into, like, pregnancy, first trimester, second trimester, third, and then, like, postpartum and what to expect. But she talks a lot about, like, the myths and the – I guess just, like – she does a lot of myth-busting on her page about, like, what to expect through birth and how – just like a lot of bullshit that you might hear from other people about like your birth plan and what to expect. And like, if your baby's too big, like what you do, you have to get a C-section and like, no, you don't. There's just a lot of different things um, that she talks about, about how to push just like all of these different things that I found helpful. And then the other one, the vagina whisperer, she was really great. Cause she's a pelvic floor therapist and she talks a lot about like the different positions, how to breathe, how to do like Kegels the right way. It's just like a really helpful
0: resource. Cool. I'll link those in the show notes. And where can listeners find you if they want to reach out to you, Nicole?
1: Um, so I have social media, so Instagram, TikTok and Facebook at eating with ADHD and my website is eatingwithadhd.com. Um, So it's, you know, if anybody wants more information about ADHD and kind of what it is and help also if, you know, if you need help with improving your relationship with food and help with binge eating, especially postpartum moms. I'm working with a lot of postpartum women and also women who are actually menopausal because like the hormone shifts are very similar. So like one thing I didn't mention before was like, When you are postpartum and you're breastfeeding and your estrogen levels are really low, it's going to make your ADHD symptoms like 10 times worse. So you're going to be way more forgetful. You're going to have more issues with planning and prioritizing and um, just all of the things that we struggle with with executive dysfunction. So it's really nice to have somebody who can help you navigate how to eat through those times. And that's really what I do to help people just really learn how to eat in a way that's healthy for them and for baby as well.
0: Awesome. Love that. Well, that sounds like you're such an amazing resource for mamas and also menopausal because like you said, massive hormone shift, somewhat similar. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much, Nicole, for coming on the podcast. This was really nice to talk to you today.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much for having me, Natalie
0: thank you so, so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please take a moment to subscribe and leave a review. I appreciate each and every one of your reviews as they help this podcast get more attention and that helps spread the truth about postpartum.